Good morning, and welcome to the third Sunday of Advent. Would you please stand up? Let's worship together. Let's come before him with joy and gladness, worshiping Jesus. Sing to me. Heart the herald angel It's so good to see you all. Thank you for being here with New Life Midtown on this third Sunday of Advent. And we have been lighting these candles. This morning I'm going to light two purple and one pink. There we go. These things are always a little tricky for me. These three candles represent the first and foremost hope. And this is the hope that we find in Christ, that he not only came the first time, but that he will return and come again and make all things new. And that is a great place to be able to place our hope. 
The second candle is peace. That is the peace that we find, the peace that doesn't just make sense in our mind, the peace that we find deep, deep in the depths of our heart that comes through following the ways of God, the ways of Christ. And then third is our focus for today, which is joy. And that is the joy that we have in Christ Jesus, knowing that he will wipe every tear, that he will wrong every right, and that every sorrow in our life, one day, you guys, he will turn that sorrow into shouts of joy. And that is something worth getting really excited about this morning. We want to read from Philippians 4, chapter 4, verses 4 through 5, and it says, Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Amen. Let's pray this prayer together. Father, we pray that you would stir up your power and with great might come among us. And because we are sorely hindered by our sins, let your bountiful grace and mercy speedily help and deliver us through Jesus Christ, our Lord, to whom with you and the Holy Spirit be honored and glory now and forevermore. Amen. Let's worship together.
Yes, you are, Lord. God with us, Emmanuel. We cry out, Emmanuel, God with us. Thank you, Jesus. Yes, oh Lord. You were given, Lord Jesus, so we might obtain salvation. But you have been risen to eternally secure that salvation. Come on, we serve a risen Savior, a given and a risen Savior. Yes, Lord Jesus. And oh, what a Savior isn't he
Come on, church, let's keep that hand going real strong for the Lord today. Can we take a moment just to, with our own words, flowing out of our own heart, articulate to the Lord how worthy he is, how beautiful he is, how much he means to us. Come on, right now, you just lead the, you lead the worship right now, church, out of your own mouths, out of your own heart, with a new song and a new revelation and a new declaration of praise and gratitude. Oh, God, we love you. Lord, we gather together today to tell you that you are worthy, that you are worth this moment, that you are worth our lives, that you're worth all of our sacrifice and all of our devotion and all of our worship. We love you, and we magnify you today, Jesus. You are the only one who was worthy to take the scroll. You are the only one who was worthy of all of the glory and all of the honor and all of the adoration all blessing and all glory and all honor and all praise belong to you, Jesus. We bless you. We magnify you. We magnify you, Lord. Holy Spirit of the living God, right now here in this moment, would you just elevate our imagination of Jesus right now? Would you expand our revelation of the greatness and the glory and the worth and the beauty of Jesus? Would you do that for us? Holy Spirit, would you open our eyes that we would catch a fresh glimpse of the beauty and the worth of Jesus today, right now, in this moment? Would you expand our vocabulary of praise? Would you enlarge the inner mansion of our heart today, O oh God? We bless you. O oh, uncreated God, we bless you. O oh, totally self-existent God, we magnify you today. There is none that compares to you. Absolutely and completely other you are. You stand in a category all your own. You have existed throughout all of eternity. And today we love you. Let fresh worship rise inside of us, we pray. In the name of Jesus. Amen, amen. Friends, would you... Uh, would you just greet somebody before you're seated this morning? Don't take too long. We're going to go back to our meet and greet here in a few moments. But just squeeze someone or introduce yourself. Know who you're sitting next to before we go into the remainder of our service. As you're making your way to your seat, I want to put on the screen Isaiah chapter 43, verse 18 and verse 19. Friends, I got a very quick word that I want to encourage you with, and I want to pray over you before we go into the receiving of our offering, which Brother Sidron is going to lead us in. And Pastor Jonathan, Pastor Jonathan has a word that I believe is so from the Lord for this hour today. Man, I sat under that ministry of the word in first service and things were just breaking open inside of me and things were being unlocked and dreams were being stirred. And so I, I want to kind of, I want to be a forerunner here for a moment. I didn't realize I was doing that in the first service, but I just want to be a forerunner preparing the way for this. Read this verse here with me if you would. Forget the former things. This is the prophet Isaiah speaking. Forget the former things and do not dwell on the past. Do not dwell on the past. Last week we had 
I believe, another poignant message. The God, God is just strategically laying these messages out because there is a, I believe, a prophetic direction he's pointing us in as a house. Last week, he was talking with us about receiving the comfort of God, receiving the comfort of his wisdom and the comfort of his presence and the comfort of his nearness, the comfort of his resurrection. There is a season, the scripture tells us, when it is appropriate and right to mourn. There is a season where it is right to grieve. In fact, if we bypass seasons of grief, we will find ourselves prolonged and we will find ourselves delayed. And we will find ourselves when we get to that place where we think it is that God wants to bring us, that we won't be fully ready to receive or to step into everything that God has for us because we didn't grieve in the season when we were supposed to grieve. There is a season to grieve and there is a season to mourn. There's a season to receive comfort. But then we find the scripture tells us that there is a season to dwell no longer on the past, to allow those things to truly be buried with God, to trust those things into the hands of the Lord, to not wear those grave clothes, to not take those garments of death with us into the next season of life. Look at the next verse with me, if you would. Verse 19, see, point at your neighbor and say, see, see, I am doing a new thing. There is a way in which God is always doing something new. He is always in all seasons at every time and circumstance of our life because he is a God that is perpetually new. He is always doing something new in your life. Guys, this isn't kind of hype pep rally stuff. This is deeply theological, and I believe it is critical for us to realize that God is a God who makes all things new. He takes every disappointment. He takes every broken place. He takes betrayals and injustice. He takes offenses. And if you bring those into him, he has a way of just like completely redefining and reorchestrating the very composition of those things and making something new in your life. I believe that. He is at all times, at all seasons, and always taking everything that is in our reality and he is making it brand new, qualitatively new. But it requires that we have spiritual eyes to recognize that. Jesus, very often when he was teaching his disciples and mysteries, he would say, truly, truly, I say to you. Or he would say, do you not see or do you not recognize or do you not perceive? The reality of the work of the Spirit and the newness of the kingdom is something that must be perceived with spiritual eyes. And this is why the prophetic word for us today is see with the eyes of your spirit God is doing a new thing. Would you just participate with this with me for a moment and say, I believe, all together, I believe God is doing a new thing in my life. I receive it. I believe it today by faith. Scripture says now it springs up. Now, now, now it springs up. Do you not perceive it? God is making a way in the wilderness for you, beloved. God is making a way in the wilderness where you feel like you're dry, where you feel like the heavens are brass, where God is distant, where everything's falling apart, where nothing is working, where you've tried everything that you know to try, and it seems like no thing is coming together. I profess to you today that God is making a way in the wilderness, in the wilderness. And then it says here that streams will flow in the driest, most deserted, most uninhabited places of your life. Streams of life are flowing If you find yourself in that season right now, I want to pray for you. Would you just open up your hands? I want to bless you today. Lord, I believe that you are at work in this house, that you are at work in this people, that you are at work in every single one of us individually and collectively 
from the singles to those that have been married for decades, to those that have children, to those that are longing for children, to those that are deeply in community, to those that are longing to connect to community. Lord, I pray right now for this family of believers. And I prophesy right now in the authority of your word and the authority of your name, God, that you're doing new things, that you're taking broken places and that you're making them new. Lord, that you are the God that raises the dead and that the same spirit who raised Christ from the dead dwells in our very mortal bodies. Lord, I believe that you will make every single one of our bodies, which will die someday, you will make our bodies qualitatively new by the power of the resurrection because you are the resurrection and the life. But I also believe that because Jesus, you came at the first advent and that you put a flag in the ground and you said the kingdom of God is here. Lord, that you are continually every day until you make all things new, you are in the process of making things new. And so right now I pray the newness of God, the qualitative newness of the kingdom of God, let new revelation come to you. Let new courage come to you. Let new faith come to you. Let new vision come to you. Let new joy come to you. Let new peace come to you. Lord, your word says that your mercies are new every morning. And so this morning, we lay a hold of new mercy. We lay a hold of new strength. And I pray it today by faith over my family in the name of Jesus. Amen. Will you clap your hands to the Lord in agreement with that today, church? I believe it for you. Friends, I've got some good news before I bring Brother Cedron up to the stage. Two weeks ago, if you were not with us, we participated in a collective offering amongst all of our eight congregations. If you're not familiar with the New Life family, Midtown is one of eight New Life congregations spread all throughout Colorado Springs. We have a church in Manitou, downtown on the east side, Friday night. We have a Chinese church. We have a Hispanic-speaking church, Nueva Vida. We are planted right here in the center of our city. And then we have the flagship ministry, which has been here for almost 40 years, our north campus. When our pastor came here 16 years ago, he inherited $26 million of debt. And as of two weeks ago, the Saturday before the Sunday that we received our legacy offering, we still held $1.9 million and a mortgage. But on that Sunday, the church collectively came together, and I'm here to announce to you that that debt has been paid in full. Come on. Hey, we rejoice. That's exciting. And what I want to say to you, first and foremost, Midtown, is I want to say thank you. I want to say thank you for participating. I want to say thank you for agreeing. Whether you put a dollar in or not, your spirit of agreement and your spirit of faith contributed. And here's, I just want to very quickly announce this to you, that had we as Midtown, you know, when you look at the numbers and you look at $1.9 million of debt and you add several hundreds of thousands of dollars more for a sound system, you could look at that and say, Pastor Jade, what I gave was just a drop in the bucket. But here's the thing. But when we gave collectively as a family, what we decided to give, if, it, if we kept it in our hands, it would have just been bread, Right? And we would have eaten that bread at Midtown. We would have paid for our bills. We would have, you know, paid for our mortgage. And when we used that, what we gave, when we used that, it would have been gone. But because we chose to give a portion and say, Lord, this is a seed, the exponential power that is within the seed is now going to be returning back to us as a family of believers. 
I believe there is a flow because of alignment. I believe in alignment. And I believe because we have set ourselves in solidarity, we've operated in the spiritual principle of alignment. There are things now, because they have been broken off of New Life North, I think there's going to be a flow of blessing that comes to us. And friends, I want you to have faith for that. Wherever you are in your spiritual journey with God, you belong to a people and there is a blessing that is resting on this house. There is a blessing of harvest that is going to be coming unto us. And as a result of that, I am praying and I am believing that debts in your life are going to be paid. I am believing that cycles of debt and poverty that you've experienced for generations, I am believing for you and with you that those things will be absolutely and entirely canceled and that they will not touch your children or your children's children. And I declare it over your life by faith in Jesus' name. Come on up here, Zadron. Come on, come on, shout unto the Lord with a voice of triumph. He just declared the blessings of the Lord over you. I don't know about you, but it makes me want to shout hallelujah. Hallelujah. Y'all sitting there looking at me. I'm going to shout. I've seen y'all shout before. Amen, amen. Well, good morning, good morning, good morning. What a beautiful day it is to be in the house of the Lord. I'm like David. When they said unto me, let us go into the house of the Lord. My heart is rejoicing to just be here. Something happened in this music ministry this morning. I'm telling you, some fire came from up here. All I'm saying is you got to get in on what God is doing. No longer do we sit on the sidelines, but we get in the flow of what he's doing. If he says you're blessed, I'm getting in on it. If he says you're prosperous, I'm getting in on it. I'm getting in on it. You don't have to. That's all right. I'm getting in on it. Amen. Amen. You know, Paul said, follow me as I follow Christ. Jesus said, I only say what I hear the Father saying. I only do what I hear him saying. In essence, this is the reason for the season, right? Jesus is our reason. Amen. And he says, we ought to follow after him. Paul says, follow me as I follow Christ. That's all we're doing. You know, when I was growing up, I would act bad sometimes, you know, as children do. Maybe I still do that a little bit. I don't know. And then my aunt, my uncles, you know, if they didn't like my dad a certain time or something like that, they was like, you just, you acting just like your daddy. You know, something mean and just, you, you know, it's supposed to be an insult. You know, you acting like your daddy. And I'll walk proud and go mess up again. But amen. But when you say I'm acting just like my daddy, I pray that I'm acting like the father. I'm acting just like him when I'm declaring blessings over people. When I'm laying hands on the sick and watching them recover, we're acting just like our father. Amen. So when we get, on, get in on what he's doing, we're acting just like him. The Bible says that for God so loved the world that he gave. So when we give, we're acting just like our father. Amen. Amen. Where are our children? Y'all come on up. I want to pray over you and declare a blessing over you. We're going to pray for him in just a moment, and I want every hand. I can't see the whites of your eyes, but I hope you're smiling at me. I hope so. I cannot see. It's dark out there right now, especially you in the back. I can't see you. I like to look at your eyes. Amen. We have a giving liturgy here, and if you want to get in on what God is doing in this house with our giving, there's four ways that you can give. And if you will pray this giving liturgy with me and partner with us in this. Amen. I got to look at this screen because... Yeah, I don't have my glasses on. Father, you are the abundant giver of all good things. 
Train us to delight in holy dependence. Lead us to honor you with all of our resources. Free us from the deceitfulness of greed and earthly riches. Teach us to give generously with open hands and joy-filled hearts that we might receive abundantly and flourish for the sake of others and your purposes in the earth. Amen. Amen. May the Lord add a blessing to you this day, this season. Amen. Amen. If you stretch forth your hands over our children in this house, we recite the the Lord's prayer over them. But as you do that, just have in your heart and your mind that we're praying over our children, that they will walk in the ways of the Lord for the rest of their lives. Every decision that they make, may they have the Lord inside the decision that we know that their, or, their steps will be ordered like never before. May they not look to the left nor to the right, but always keep their eyes upon the Lord for the rest of their life. Amen. Our Father, who art in heaven, Hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our sins as we forgive those who have sinned against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen, amen, amen. Children, you are released. Go and learn of the Lord and come back and tell me about it. When my children were smaller, I used to hold up the number three, and it was signifying that you got to come back with three things you learned in class. So, children, three things. I want to hear about it. Amen. If you're worshiping with us for the very first time or you've been coming here and visiting with us, we welcome you. This is a house that knows how to worship the Lord. We knows how to praise Jesus. We know how to lift up the name and we know how to give a good word. Amen. Amen. At this time, we're going to take a few moments just to mingle and fellowship one with another. Meet somebody that you do not know. It could turn into a lifetime relationship. Amen. Good morning, Midtown. You rowdy bunch. It is good to be with you all today. Can you believe it's one week before Christmas Eve? 
This year's a little funny. Advent typically has a week between the fourth Sunday and Christmas Eve, but this year they are one and the same. So Advent is cut a little bit short this year, which means that we get to celebrate even sooner, y'all. This is good. I have one announcement before we jump into the text. Uh, So next week is Christmas Eve. We'll be having three services, 9 o'clock, 11 o'clock, and 1 p.m. So the 1 p.m. is an added third service. And what is special about next week is two things. One, between the 9 and 11 and between the 11 and 1, we will be having cookies and hot cocoa. Service will be a little bit abbreviated, so we would ask that if you could spare an extra 15 to 20 minutes, you could either come early for your 11 a.m. or your 1 p.m. or stay late from the 9 a.m. or the 11 a.m. I know, we're just giving you all the options in the world to eliminate every excuse. We have hundreds of cookies we need to be eating next week, okay? we got to send you to your Christmas Eve meals partially full and full of sugar in particular. The second thing is children's ministry will be limited next week to zero to five years old. So elementary students, all the ones we just released, will be staying with us in service next week. All right? Crystal clear? If not, check the website where it should be even more clear. Christ is risen. risen He is risen indeed. So this is the third Sunday of Advent, and as Pastor Christy just a few moments ago uh, rehearsed to us, this is the Sunday called Gaudete Sunday which means rejoice. It's the Sunday of joy. And I've been participating in Advent for about eight years now. And every year this Sunday comes around, it strikes me as unique. That the season is still one of waiting and one of longing, one of learning to pay attention, learning what it is to be aware and awake in the midst of the season where we are waiting for God to do in fullness what he has inaugurated. And yet, we make this turn to rejoice that is based not off of any circumstances at all. And I've pondered this. Why? What warrants joy? Like, I told you guys a couple of weeks ago that uh, Spotify told me I was a vampire because of my music choices throughout the year. So I need a reason for joy. I need to know why. And I think there are many reasons why it is important that we learn to rejoice in the midst of the waiting The first is because if we're paying attention, pretty much the entirety of our lives are lived waiting for something. And there are layers to waiting. We are, at this time, we are waiting on Amazon packages to arrive. We are waiting in lines at King Supers and Costco. We're waiting in lines at whatever your retail store of choice is. You're waiting on packages to come in, letters, Christmas cards from family members. On the surface, we're waiting in all kinds of ways. And then if we take that a notch deeper, we are waiting perhaps on a promotion or we're waiting on something in our lives to change, something we've been bumping up against, a habit that we're just trying to kick or we're waiting on the exercise that we've been putting in for a season to manifest in some way that perhaps someone else might notice. Or if we want to click that another layer deeper, We might be waiting on a medical report to come back. I was speaking with someone just before service, and they received a medical report that they were wondering if it was cancerous, and it was not cancerous. And there are seasons in our lives where we are waiting on these climactic things to happen. Perhaps some of you have been in seasons where you were waiting on divorce papers to be signed, or you're waiting on the death certificate to come in the mail for a family member, or you're waiting on the phone call from a long-lost child, 
that you haven't heard from, and it's now the holiday season, and you are hoping against hope. And there are tears and levels to the depths that we wait, but pretty much all of our lives are lived in some form of waiting. And the passage from Philippians chapter 4 that Pastor Christie read a moment ago gives us insight into the reason that we can rejoice. Do you know that the book of Philippians, Paul is writing from prison. And Paul is not saying, I rejoice because this prison is like a cruise ship and I have everything I need and it's actually more enjoyable than the world. No, Paul is saying that he can rejoice because, did you catch what was in verse 5? Because the Lord is near. Paul's not sadistic. He doesn't enjoy pain and just awful circumstances. Paul is saying that my joy transcends my circumstances because there's nowhere that I can go where God is not near to me. And this is the epiphany of Advent. The epiphany of Advent is that though we are always waiting on God to do in fullness what he has already begun doing, he's always every moment of every day right around the corner coming to us again and again and again, which is one of the reasons weekly we celebrate communion. This is the coming of Jesus to us as nourishment. How we need him in this season, Jesus is to you through this bread and through this wine. I found this poem. I didn't even read this in first service, but I feel like reading it now. So go with my whims, will you? <laughs> Madeline uh, Lingle has this uh, Advent poem called First Coming, and it's all about waiting and how we can have joy in the waiting. He did not wait till the world was ready, till men and nations were at peace. He came when the heavens were unsteady and prisoners cried out for release. He did not wait for the perfect time. He came when the need was great and deep. He dined with sinners in all their grime, and he turned the water into wine. He did not wait till hearts were pure. In joy, he came to a tarnished world of sin and doubt, to a world like ours of anguished shame. He came, and his light would not go out. He came to a world which did not mesh, to heal its tangles, shield its scorn. In the mystery of the word made flesh, the maker of the stars was born. And so we cannot wait till the world is sane to raise our songs with joyful voice. For to share our grief, to touch our pain, he came with love. So rejoice, rejoice. And I think this poem gets at there is no perfect time to do anything. If we're waiting for the perfect time to rejoice, to pray, to obey, to sow the seed, to do whatever it is, then we will never do anything that we've been commanded to do in Christ. And part of what the Christian calendar and the whole season of Advent is trying to do is to shape us to become the kind of people that recognize times and seasons so that when we find ourselves in a particular time or season, we know how to participate. And so right now in the midst of longing, in the midst of waiting on God to fulfill all of his promises, we are the people who look at the darkness of the world and we rejoice. We rejoice while we're waiting in hope, knowing that Christ has come and we have already seen too much to know that he is stopping where he is at right now. We are the people who have seen and experienced too much. And like Peter, we look at Jesus and say, where else can we go? You alone have the bread of life. You are the bread of life. And so today, 
we are learning to rejoice in the midst of whatever it is that you are going through. Turn with me in your Bibles to Psalm 126. I've never preached from the Psalms in Advent before that I can remember. But as I read the passages from the lectionary for this Sunday, there was one line in this psalm that gripped me. And as much as I wanted to preach the Magnificat or some, some other beautiful passage, I just couldn't get away from this. So Psalm 126, it's six verses. It'll be up on the screen if you don't have a Bible with you. When the Lord restored the fortunes of Zion, we were like those who dreamed. Our mouths were filled with laughter, our tongues with songs of joy. And then it was said among the nations that the Lord has done great things for them. And now the author turns. The Lord has done great things for us, and we are filled with joy. And yet another turn in verse 4. So restore our fortunes, Lord, like streams in the Negev. Those who sow with tears will reap with songs of joy. And those who go out weeping, carrying seed to sow, will return with songs of joy, carrying sheaves with them. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's bow our heads and pray. Lord, we thank you for the season of Advent that we can participate with learning the ways of your spirit through the life of Christ and that we can be ones who learn to look into the face of struggle and pain and darkness and brokenness and rejoice because God is near. And God, we have seen too much. We know that you are an active God that where you are near, you are inevitably at work. That there is no place that you show up where, have, where you have not preveniently been active, where you have not been preparing that moment for us to step into. And so today we look at you and we look for you. And I pray that you would crack open our hearts in this space and that you would release from us that which needs to be released, and that you would put inside of us that which we need to receive. We ask it today in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. And God's people say, Amen. Just a few months ago at our annual men's retreat, the end of September, a handful of the leaders, about 25 of us, gathered on Thursday night before the men would show up for the retreat on Friday. And it's typical for us to gather the leadership on that Thursday night, and we have a time of consecrating the space, but also praying one for another and sensing what is God doing in your life? What are you bringing up the mountain with you? And what might God be speaking to that mountain in your life? And so we were just having a, a time of prayer after worship. And so I asked the guys, I said, what is the Lord speaking to you? Not, not like a word for the retreat, but what is God speaking to whatever it is that you're carrying up the mountain with you? And one at a time, guys all over the room are popcorn responding to the things that God is doing in them. And there was a, a lull, a moment of inbreaking, if you will. And I just opened my mouth and what came out of me, which this is, this is not me for those of you who know me. And what came out of me was, it's time to dream again. And the moment it came out of me, I realized, I don't know how to dream again. And for so many of us, I think we walk through life and the perpetual spirit of Advent, of waiting and longing, if we don't learn how to do it joyfully, the wind gets knocked out of us. And 
Friends, I know that we, most of us in the room, are believers. We have walked with God. But if we don't learn how to receive the joy of our salvation on the regular, we are so close to despair. The world is dark. Life is tough. People do terrible things. We do terrible things. And so I said this. It just comes out of me. It's time to dream again. And I have this epiphany that I have been living insulated, turned in on myself. I've been living self-preserved, not dreaming, not taking risks, not praying bold prayers. And I think there are a number of reasons for this. In my own life, one of them is disappointment. A huge series of disappointments that started, I don't know, eight or nine years ago in my own life. And for you, there are probably moments you could look back on your life and say, this was a watershed moment. And some of us have learned how to respond well in those moments. But other times, we are fully human, and we are who we are. And something happens to us we didn't expect, and we pull a shell over ourselves, and we preserve. And things don't go the way that we hoped they would go. And so we just say, I'm just you know what? I know how to not be disappointed. It's just lower the expectations. And most of us don't do that consciously. It just happens over the course of time. Some of us were born into situations where nothing has ever been expected of you. Someone told me right after the first service, and I'm not going to share what they said, but that their grandmother used to speak this word over them all the time. And it and they didn't intend to receive it as a word of curse, but that's what it became over them throughout the course of their lives. And they realized it this morning. Some of us have heard words spoken over us, and the message you have received is that there are no expectations on your life at all. That really the only expectations of you are to survive. And anything good that comes of your life, by the grace of God alone. So some of you have never learned how to dream because nobody's ever expected anything of you. And I want to today, I want to proclaim over you that God has a dream for you. And in just a moment, we're going to talk about all the ways that the world snares us and hooks us and tries to distort what dreams are. But you need to hear that God expects something of you. He doesn't expect it of you alone. But God has expectations and dreams for your life, and those things delight him. God is inviting you. He's not kicking you in the pants. He's inviting you to come alongside, to partner with him, and to see what might happen. And some of you are on the flip side of that. You were told your whole lives, to whom much is given, much is required. And you were told to go and change the world and to, to dream huge dreams, and there's nothing wrong with that. But over the course of time, most of us have come to realize we're not actually going to change the world. Most of us in this room are not going to change the world. And the good news is, you don't have to. What you have to do, or what you are called to do, is to embody the life of Christ to the people who your life touches. That's the world you need to touch, not the world. Because you try and change the world for very long and you realize you can't do it, it's easy to just go, I'm going to live for myself. Like, my life isn't changing very much. 
And so before we talk about how to learn the dreams of God, I want to identify at least three dreams of the culture that are not completely errant, but they are deceptive. The first of these is the dream of comfort. Now, if you're on social media at all, then it is highly likely, or maybe it's just me, maybe the algorithms are reading me, but about every third thing on Facebook or Instagram or Twitter, or whatever, it's X, the X, is some pitch in advertisement for a, a life hack to learn how to make an extra $5,000 a week by sending 10 emails or less. And the pitch is always so that you can have more time and resource to do whatever you want with. And friends, I'm here to tell you, look, if you have one of those things working for you, don't quit it on my behalf. Send it my way. But the point is that if you're doing those things, if you're trying to make more money and streamline your life and eliminate all these extra work things that you don't have to do so that you can make more money, if it doesn't lead to you giving more of your life away, you will find that it's hollow. That there are only so many European backpacking trips and cruises and trips to Mexico and skydiving trips and shopping sprees. There are only so many family trips that you can do before you realize this isn't exactly what I thought I wanted to begin with. Now, I wouldn't know because I don't make $5,000 a week sending 10 or less emails. But some of you may have touched that. And you know that if you hook into the lie of the culture, you will find it hollow. Sure, make all the money you can. Free up as much time in your life as you can. But do it so that you can give your life away. Do something meaningful. The second deceptive dream of the culture is what Paul calls in Philippians chapter 2, selfish ambition or vain deceit. And this is living for fame or prestige or influence. This is what I talked about a moment ago, living to change the world or at least project an image of yourself that you are changing the world. And once again, if this is something that we pursue, the more, the more, the more, more influence, more stuff, more power, keep moving up the totem pole, if this is what we find ourselves pursuing, we will also find that it is never enough. That there's never enough money, there's never enough influence, you've never brought enough change for it to matter for the equivalence of the darkness in the world. The third is the dream of nostalgia. And this is what we might refer to as the good old days. Now, for some of you who are older, you will, I, I have heard some of you, names aside, I have heard some of you and some of my, even my own family members, talk about the good old days as in the 60s or the 70s or the 80s. And now the world is just so corrupt. For some of you, this will be pre-divorce or pre one of those watershed moments when life was flourishing, when life was wonderful, before the bankruptcy, before the business went belly up. Whatever it was for you, the dream of nostalgia, it's an illusion for two reasons. One, our memories play tricks on us. Adam Grant and Malcolm Gladwell have done some good work on this if you'd like to read about it. But most of the way that we remember the past 
aside from traumatic and tragic events in our lives, is act, actually ends up uh, taking on rose-colored lenses for many of us. And the second thing is that if it were, perhaps, a great season in your life, it probably wasn't for everyone. The 60s were fantastic for white, privileged males in America. And there were a lot of groups of people that the 60s were not wonderful for. And extrapolate that to whatever your temptation for nostalgia is to live in the past, friends. God is in the present with you right now wherever you are. You don't have to go back to the good old days to find God or to find the best version of yourself. Whatever mistake you've made, wherever you've dropped the ball, whatever has happened, God is in the present right now, able to restore and to redeem and birth new vision for your life again. So today, I believe that God's invitation is for us collectively to learn to respond to the invitation to dream again. So I've talked about a few things that the dreams of the world uh, can deceive us into believing, but I do believe that God has dreams for us. So quickly, just to look back at Psalm 126, some of the context here. Uh, I mentioned this two weeks ago in the opening Advent message. This psalm was written about the same time as that passage from Isaiah. So this is after the people of God have returned from Babylonian exile, they've returned to the city of Jerusalem. And the first three verses where they're saying, God, when you restored our fortunes, we were like ones who dreamed. They're remembering, they're rehearsing the story and the acts of God when God brought them out of exile and returned them to the homeland. Many of them, most of them perhaps, had never been to Jerusalem. They had never seen the temple. They had been in exile for two generations. Many of them had only ever heard the stories. And they had heard of the beauty of the temple and the presence of God and all these wonderful things. And God restored the fortunes. He came through on his promises and he brought the people back. And you know what they came back to? A city in desolation, a temple that was desecrated and burned. And so they find themselves in this spot where God has done what he said he would do, and it also wasn't what they thought it was going to be. An Old Testament scholar, Clinton McCann, says this, Life then and now is simultaneously a matter of joy and sorrow, triumph and tragedy, of needs that were previously met and new needs that constantly arise. In other words, Psalm 126 is a powerful reminder that the people of God have always lived by both memory and hope. And this is what Advent is all about. Teaching us to live in that liminal space. Teaching us how to live, not forgetting the ways of God in the past, the stories of our history, the stories of your grandparents and your parents, and the stories from the scripture that rehearse to us the acts of God, of people radically coming to the Lord, and people experiencing miracles and turnaround in their life. Don't forget those things. But we don't live in the past. We live in the present and we live in the present where though God has met needs time and time again in our past, every day we need new mercy. 
We need new grace. We need his love afresh and again. And so we live in this space where, yes, God, I remember what you did for me yesterday, and I need it again today. And this is what Advent shapes us to become, the kind of people who can hold these things together. And we can live there in the tension, and we can do it full of joy. So much so that Paul can sit in prison and say, I rejoice. I'll say it again, I rejoice. Why? Because God is near. If I die in this prison, it's okay. I've seen enough to know that what God is going to do with my life and the fruit of what I've sowed out there, it's going to be well worth it. So we live between this memory of what God has done, remembrance, and we also live in anticipation of what God is going to do in the future. And then there are these verses at the end where this passage turns to prayer. So restore our fortunes again, Lord, like streams in the Negev. Those who sow with tears will reap with songs of joy. Those who go out weeping, carrying seed to sow, will return with songs of joy carrying sheaves with them. I think this is such a beautiful picture. So he's, he's talking here about these streams in the Negev. The Negev is the desert. And what would happen is certain rainy seasons would come. And in the low places in the desert, the water would gather and they would call it a wadi. And these wadis were lear- they would learn where they were so that when they had to travel through the desert, they would be able to navigate because if they traveled through the desert without them, they would certainly run out of water and they and their camels would die. But there were times when the wadi water would dry up and it felt like this was spiritually the season that they were in. God, you've brought us back to this city and the temple's destroyed. It's a shell of itself. There's nothing here. And they're crying out for God to send the rain. But what I love about this picture, and you have to know that the authors of Scripture do these things intentionally, is that water is mentioned here in multiple forms. Then he immediately moves to tears. And friends, here is the beauty of the way that our God works. That we can go out into the desert and we can sow the seeds of our lives in the desert And while we're waiting on the rain to come, God can even use your tears to water the seeds, to bring about a harvest in the middle of the desert. In other words, there is nothing that your life has experienced, nothing you have gone through, no pain you've experienced, no tear that you have shed that God is not able to take and sow it into the abundant life of God and bring about a harvest for the world and joy and life back to you. God wastes nothing. There are seasons when you are looking around at the desert, you're looking around at the soil, and you're thinking to yourself, I am sowing into nothingness. There's no way this soil could ever bring about anything meaningful, much less a bountiful harvest. And what this is telling us is that we serve a God who transforms even the soil Jesus said, unless a kernel of wheat goes into the ground and dies, it remains a single kernel. But once it dies, it then becomes seed that multiplies and brings about a harvest. 
Everything that Jesus came to the earth to do, he did so that we could do it and experience it differently. So Jesus was born, Jesus eats, Jesus breathes, Jesus lives with friends, he lives with family, he works all of these things Jesus does so that we might live them and experience them differently. Jesus laid his life down and it changed what it is to die so that death for God is not the end, which is good news for you and for me, that we don't have to worry. We can be like Paul in prison, and we can say, I can rejoice, and even if God allows my life to be taken from me, I serve a God who raises the dead, and I serve a God who will utilize my life as a seed, and who knows what will come from what I sow. But here's the thing. When does the seed begin the process of transformation? When it leaves your hand. As long as you're clinging to your pain, as long as you're clinging to your tears, to your grief, as long as you're insulating and keeping those things from God, he's not going to violently strip you of those things. As soon as you entrust those things to God, you open them up to God and say, God, this is what I am. This is what is of me. This is what I have to offer. And it's sowed into the ground. That's when the process of transformation begins. When you release control. And I think that is the key to learning to dream again. When we've experienced disappointment, What do we do? We cling to what we have. You can take my dreams, but you can't take this. I have this. I might not be anything else, but I'm funny, or I'm smart, or I have money, or I have this skill, or whatever it is. And so we cling to things. But the process of transformation doesn't begin until the seed leaves your hand and hits the soil. So part of God's invitation for some of you today is to release the clinging grip. Let go. I don't know what it is. You may not even know what it is yet. But let go and see what transformation God can bring. I'm going to skip a whole bunch of stuff here, but if you would turn with me to Isaiah chapter 61. And I want to read at least what is one image in Scripture of the kind of dream that God has for humanity. So if we want to avoid the dreams, the deception of the dreams of the culture that try and allure us into things that are hollow and exhausting and don't ever follow through on the promises that they make, and yet we are still called to dream, what kind of dreams Are we called to dream? Isaiah chapter 61, we're going to read the first four four verses. The spirit of the sovereign Lord is on me, Isaiah says, because the Lord has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives and release from darkness for the prisoners, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God to comfort all who mourn and provide for those who grieve in Zion, to bestow on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes, the oil of joy instead of mourning, 
and a garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair. They will be called oaks of righteousness, a planting of the Lord for the display of his splendor. They will rebuild the ancient ruins and restore the places long devastated. They will renew the ruined cities that have been devastated for generations. Two quick points on this passage. God's vision is for holistic transformation. Notice all of the realms that this passage, just from verses 1 to 4, and if you keep reading it expands, notice all of the realms that it touches. The spiritual realm, emotions, the material world, the economic conditions, that God is interested in so much more than cleansing you of sin and saving you from hell. God's not interested in less than that, but God is interested in so much more than that. Sometimes we hear these things and we only hear them metaphorically. And we hear to release the captives and we think those who are held captive in their hearts. Absolutely, not less than that, but more than that. God cares about those who are literally oppressed. For those who have been misjudged, wrongly convicted, God cares about social issues. God also cares about the emotional state that keeps you wrapped up and insulated and from dreaming. God cares about your mind, your emotions, your identity, what you do with your money, how you treat your neighbor. God cares about all of it. God's vision is for holistic transformation. And the second thing I want you to see is who does the work in this passage? Who's doing the work? The Spirit of the Sovereign Lord has come upon Isaiah, anointed him to proclaim the good news. Well, who's doing the proclaiming? Isaiah. God has sent him to what? To bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom, to release from darkness the prisoners, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor, to comfort all who mourn, to provide for those a safe place who are grieving. And on and on it goes, skipping to verse 4. Then it expands from Isaiah to Isaiah's people. And they will rebuild the ancient ruins and restore the places long devastated. They will renew the ruined cities that have been devastated for generations. Some of us are perpetually frustrated because we're waiting on God to do what he's already called and anointed you to do. Advent is learning how to wait, but learning how to wait awake and fully responsible. Now, don't mishear me. There are things that only God can and will do. Only God can bring about the fulfillment of all of his promises. But here's the thing. God doesn't need anything any one of us bring to the table, but he wants us to bring it all so that he can partner with us. The Spirit came upon Isaiah, but Isaiah still had to go and do the work. And if we don't, we will be frustrated and we'll quit dreaming and we'll be pointing our fingers at God and God is saying, I've anointed you. I've called you. I've placed you in a body. 
I've placed you exactly where I want you in the city of Colorado Springs. I've given you everything you need. You don't have to change the world, but start doing something. Some of us have this assumption that in the end, God is going to just sweep over everything and just fix everything all at once. Now, I don't know how it's going to happen. But if we're paying attention to the life of Jesus, other than his crucifixion and resurrection, Jesus' ministry was mostly to individual human beings. That for the three years of Jesus' ministry, Jesus was mostly like, talking one-on-one to people. Yeah, there's a few mass sermons, but mostly after those, all the people left frustrated with Jesus anyways. (laughs) The people who Jesus deeply touched were most often one-on-one encounters. And what many of us are looking for is this sweeping change that God is going to do. Now, I can't speak for how God's going to do what he's going to do when he acts finally once and for all. But I know what he's calling you and me to do. And he's calling us to comfort one person who mourns. To give our lives for one person who's in prison, who's sick, who's needy. One widow, one orphan, one person we can encourage. Who's doing the work? The people are doing the work. They're not doing it alone. They're doing it because the Spirit has come on them and anointed them And empowered them. And the last thing about this passage I want you to see is where does the work happen? Where does God's justice come? Smack dab in the middle of injustice. Where does God's comfort come? Right in the middle of mourning. Jesus said it explicitly. He said, I didn't come for the well. I came for the sick. Most of the people Jesus ministered to were sick, were outcast, were infirmed, were possessed by demons. And many of us in this place have learned to believe the lie that if I can just get out of the Negev desert into the city of Jerusalem, everything will be okay. But you know what the psalmist shows us? Jerusalem is actually the place that has been destroyed and God is calling you to sow right where you are in the middle of the desert. You want to know where God is? You want to encounter the Lord? You want God to show up and break through into your life? Where's your need? What are you facing? Where is your place of brokenness? God's comfort doesn't just come in the city of Jerusalem. It comes wherever the hurt is. Friends, this is the beauty, Seth, you can come. The beauty of the God that we serve is I I have long been fascinated by this verse. To bestow on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes. Well, we all know what ashes were. Ashes were uh, an accompaniment, an, an accoutrement, if you will, to mourning. That to display that they were in a season of grieving and mourning, they would put ashes and they would wear sackcloth. And so one image of this is that God is taking them out of the season of mourning and crowning them with beauty. But think a little more particularly about what ashes are. Ashes are quite literally the most useless thing on the face of the earth. They are the thing 
from which 100% of resource has been exhausted. Whatever a thing starts at, you burn it long enough, it turns to ash. There's nothing else left. There's nothing valuable in it. And what this passage says is, God gives you beauty and a crown when you have literally nothing of substance to offer him. All you have are tears. All you have is pain. All you have is disappointment. And God says, bring it to me. Watch what I give you. So in closing, why does this seem to take forever? When is this going to happen? Here's the thing. It's happening right now. It's just happening so slowly. Our eyes mostly can't see it. And Advent is about attuning our eyes to the way and into the timing that God works so that we can learn to see when those little sprouts break through in the desert. We're looking for the huge monsoon and we're looking for the oak tree to sprout up out of nowhere. But friends, that's just not how oak trees are grown. Verse 3, it says, They will be planted by the Lord and grow up as oaks of righteousness. And what we will come to find if we follow God long enough is that he's just not in as much of a hurry as we are. And I know, that's really annoying. I I know, I know. But here's the thing. We can rejoice because wherever we are, we have seed. We may not see the leaves. We may not see anything that's happening above the surface. But our lives are seeds. And because Jesus was the perfect seed that like a grain of wheat went into the ground, he changed the soil itself so that our lives could be sowed and bring about a harvest that the seeds of our lives had no business bringing about. Stand with me, if you will. I hope and I pray that this message will will sit with you as it has with me for, what, three months now since men's retreat. And I hope that God will help you revision how you see the seed of your life. Particularly for those who have been told that you will never amount to anything and so you've never expected anything. You've never dreamed. You've never believed that God cared much about you. You've never believed that God wanted to do something particularly beautiful with your life. But I want to tell you today that he does and he is and he's smiling at you doesn't matter how old you are. I realize that there are people who have been retired for 15 or 20 years in this congregation. And God wants you to dream again too. God wants you to expect and anticipate things even in your older age. God is calling you to dream. And God is calling you to trust him with whatever is left, even if it feels like ash. Communion attendants, if you would come forward. Let us remember today as we come to the table that what comes of our lives is only possible because of what Jesus did with his. You can exit out the left-hand side of your row, 
Come forward, receive the elements, bring them back to your seat, and then we'll partake together in just a moment. All are welcome. Come to the table of the Lord. Your promise still stands. Great is your faithfulness. Your faithfulness. Still in your hands. This is my confidence. You never fail. Your promise still stands. Great is your faithfulness. Your faithfulness. I'm still in your hands. This is my confidence. You never failed me yet. Never failed me. Your promise still stands. Great is your faithfulness. Your faithfulness. I'm still in your hands. This is my confidence. You've never failed me We are like the ones who remember that God has previously met our needs and yet every day new needs arise. And this right here is proof that Jesus knew that long before we did. 
as often as you do this, do this in remembrance of me. Friends, we come to the table and we receive this little piece of bread, a morsel, if you will, of wheat. And this is God's way of saying, I'm nourishing you every day as you need it. But there is coming a day when we won't eat just a piece. We will eat of the fullness when God has made every wrong right and fulfilled every last one of his promises. We will sit around that table and we will rehearse the deeds of God and remember when we were eating the body and the blood of Christ for what we needed that day, but then there will be a day when we are nourished for all of eternity because we dwell in the presence of the Most High God. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took the bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and he said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Let us receive the body of Christ broken for you and for me. And in the same way, after supper, he took the cup and he said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. Friends, let us receive the shed blood of Christ for the remission of sins. Thanks be to God for these good gifts. Earlier this week when Pastor Jonathan and I were discussing the angle of the word of the Lord today and he shared this concept with me, something just resonated in my heart. I feel like this is a word of the Lord for this hour. It's a word of the Lord for this house. I know that I, in my own life, have stopped dreaming with the Lord for a whole host of reasons. But I feel the hovering of the Holy Spirit. You know, in Genesis 1, the Holy Spirit hovered over the chaos. He hovered over the waters of the deep, and he brought forth something out of nothing. And I wonder, just for a moment before we pray for one another, I wonder if we can just sing this song that Seth was leading us in. I believe there's a strength on this. I believe there's something that needs to be activated in this. I believe there's a prophetic agreement. I believe that if we get in alignment with this, it's going to unlock something. It's going to lose something. So friends, can we just sing this strong here as we pray? Come all all together. Oh, yes. And I believe. We agree today. Can you just say, I agree with that? 
Amen. Amen. You know, what's typical around this time when we bless you and send you out with the benediction and we pray for you. It would be so easy for me to do that. I'm tempted to do that, actually. My heart wants to do that. But I also know that there are some things that can only be activated when we sow and we don't just receive. So here's what I'd like for you to do. I'd like for you to, by the power of the Holy Spirit, to look around this room and allow the Holy Spirit to let your gaze fall on somebody in this room. Just practice with the Lord right now. And then stretch forth your hands towards them and the very thing that you need God to do in your life, the very thing that you're needing God to resurrect or unlock or loose or heal or strengthen or restore, I want you just to sow that right now. I want you to sow what you need from God and in God and believe that God's going to unlock dreams in someone else. That he's going to begin to activate things in someone else. He's going to begin to restore joy in someone else. And as you sow that, beloved, I believe he's doing that with you all across this room, Lord. We are sowing faith. We are sowing hope and expectation into our brothers and our sisters right now. Spirit of the living God, we pray for a spirit of holy community to fall in this house, that you would knit and that you would link our hearts together. We pray for for prophetic words to be dropped and released into our hearts. Father, we pray for gifts to come alive again, to be resurrected and to be restored and redeemed and renewed. Father, we pray for life to flow into every dead place, into every dead dream, into every dead gift, into every dead ability. Lord, I pray for the life of God. Lord, your word says that everywhere the river flows, it brings life. And so, God, I pray for the life of the river of God to flow into every household, into every single, into every family, into every dream. Let the river of your life flow in the mighty name of Jesus. Now, beloved, may the Lord bless you today. May the Lord shower you with his grace and his goodness and his abundance. May he drive out all scarcity and all lack in your life by the abundant nature of who he is. May he drive fear away from you. May he settle every storm with peace. May he send you this week to the very people who need you in their life. They need your voice. They need your presence. They need your comfort. They need your personality. They need your unique wiring. May the Lord open doors for you this week. May you sow this week and may you see the fruit of eternity as God brings harvest in our city and beyond. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, amen. God bless you. We'll see you at one or three of our three services next week. God bless you guys.